This recording has been produced by Christchurch, Jerusalem. For more information, visit us at cmj-israel.org. Well, good evening and welcome to the Christchurch Bible Study uh, on the last words of Moses as we continue to wrestle uh, with Moses' final speech of encouragement, commentary on the Torah, uh, the emphasis on the heart as he, as he instills on the Israelites to love the Lord uh, with everything that they have as they enter the land, trying in his, uh, in his way, um, I'm going to say by the power of the Spirit, um, to produce a society that is holy, that is just, that is good, and, uh, and can actually put the Torah into practice. Um, and, uh, and so that's what we're wrestling with. And it's, we're still in chapter 12. Um, it's, a, it's a great chapter. The whole book's a great book. But um, we only got through a few verses last week. But we're ready to wrestle, uh, starting at verse 8. But before we do, an honoured tradition which we will uh, employ is we will begin in prayer, knowing that the Messiah is here, but also inviting his presence. Neville, can you pray for us? Yes, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time to gather together and meet in your name, Lord, to study your word. Father, we pray that you would meet us in our need, and we pray that your anointing would be upon Aaron, Lord, and your Holy Spirit would be also guiding us, all of us into understanding your word better, that we may walk in your ways. We pray this in Messiah's name. Amen. Amen. All right. So looking at the notes from last week, so last week we managed to get through the... Uh, we got through a bit more than, than, than eight verses, but I only did the write-up for, for these ones as it seemed to, to fit. And uh, the summary is as follows. Moses sets before the Israelites clear instructions to follow the decrees and the laws of God once they have become possessors and inhabited the land of Canaan. Israel is to follow the Torah in the land, and that's emphasis stressed, Interestingly, the Torah calls for festivals to remember the exodus from Egypt, Pesach, and to remember the wandering in the wilderness, Sukkot, and the giving of the Torah, Shavuot. But there is no festival to remember the entering and conquest of the land. While you inherit the land, you never celebrate the conquest of the land. Rather, you obey the Torah in the land. Specifically, in this chapter, sacrifices are to be given in a particular place and no other place. Initially, though, the false gods, places, sacred trees, temples, and altars of the Canaanite religion must be purged from the land. Israel always faced a danger of syncretism as do we all to this very day. And the defense against syncretism was total annihilation, even to changing the names of the Canaanite places. Now, despite the command, Israel did not do this, even failing to rename the sites. For example, the Canaret to this day is still called the Canaret, which is a Canaanite fertility goddess. The question, is how much zeal should be sourced from this text as instruction for the generations to come. 
These are specific one-time commands directed purely at the local Canaanite faith and does not apply to religions or the surrounding nations. God describes the burning of Asherah idols, which unfortunately are absorbed in the early Israelite theology as the consort of Yahweh. Unlike Canaanite tradition, where the pantheon of deities can be honored in many places, God will choose a single place inside Israel to establish a centralized form of worship. Moses does not name the place, nor does he infer the place will move location in the future. Interestingly, the redactor of Deuteronomy did not name the place either. Now, we know there is a redactor. We see his hand, and the tradition is it's Joshua, that after Moses dies, Joshua goes along and, and finishes the book and adds a few little things. But he didn't name the place either. Initially, this location is in the territory of Ephraim, and it is called Shiloh, Shiloh. Shiloh becomes the residence of the Shekinah, the presence of God, for 369 years. It is to the tabernacle in Shiloh that sacred material is brought before the Lord. Tithes, in plural, as well as special gifts, objects freely dedicated and vowed to the Lord, including people, such as the boy Samuel, Shmuel, so humans can be dedicated to God. All firstborn livestock, as well as sacrifices and burnt offering. Ola is the Hebrew word for burnt offering. It describes the sacrifice in which all of the animal is consumed on the altar, as opposed to all the other sacrifices in which the animal is divided up among God, the priests, and the, and the worshiper. It is first used in Genesis 8 by Noah, who is a Gentile. Gentiles can and do make burnt offerings to the Lord. Later, it is used in reference to Isaac in Genesis 22, when God requests of Abraham to offer his son as an Olaf. God invites the families of Israel to come into his presence at Shiloh, to eat in fellowship and to worship in Simcha, in joy. The place of worship was also to be a place of giving. God has been generous to his dealings with the people, both in military success and economic blessing. The response by the people, therefore, should also be one of generosity before the Lord. Verse 7 notes, to be generous in all things you put your hands towards, that is, implying the product from our own hands becomes part of what we devote to the Lord. Now, one of the first Mishnah in the Pirkei Vot says, a father should teach his son a trade, thus the son has something to share to God. Paul in Ephesians 4 verse 28 instructs people to work so that they have something to share. All this is offered in Simcha, joy. Generosity and joy are linked together. Joy is also part of the connection that we have to God. Now, this concept has heavily influenced the daily prayer life of the Breslov Orthodox denomination within modern Judaism. 
They're always very happy, always full of joy. However, they seem to have forgotten the concept of working with your hands and offering the produce derived from the work in joy before the Lord. That's a, a summary of our first uh, seven verses. So we'll pick it up from verse 8 and uh, chapter 12. And we'll do our best uh, to, to work through it. Although, honestly, let's just push on because there's a lot, a lot here. So Moses continues. Verse 8. You shall not at all do as we are doing here today, every man doing what is right in his own eyes. For as yet you have not come to the rest and the inheritance which the Lord your God is giving you. But when you cross over the Jordan and dwell in the land, which the Lord your God is giving you to inherit, and it gives you rest from all your enemies round about, so that you dwell in safety, then there will be a place where the Lord your God chooses to make his name abide. Now there you shall bring all that I command you, your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, your heave offerings of your hand, and all your choice offerings which you vow to the Lord. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your sons and your daughters, your male and female servants, the Levite who is within your gates, since he has no portion or inheritance with you. Take heed to yourself that you do not offer your burnt offerings in every place where you see, but in place where the Lord chooses, in one of your tribes. There you shall offer your burnt offerings, and there you shall do all that I command you. However, you may slaughter and eat meat within all your gates, whatever your heart desires, according to the blessing of the Lord your God, which he has given you. The clean and the unclean may eat of it, and of the gazelle and the deer alike. Only you shall not eat the blood. You shall pour it on the earth like water. You shall not eat within your gates the tithe of your grain or your new wine or your oil or the firstborn of your herd or your flock or any of your offerings which you vow and your free will offerings or of the heave offering of your hand. But you must eat them before the Lord your God in the place which the Lord your God chooses, you and your son and your daughter, your male servant and your female servant, and the Levite who is within your gate. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God to which all you put your hands. Take heed to yourself that you do not forsake the Levite as long as they live in the land. Now when the Lord your God enlarges your border as he has promised you, and you say, let me eat meat, because you long to eat meat, you may eat as much meat as your heart desires. If the place where the Lord your God chooses to put his name is too far from you, then you may Slaughter from your herd and from your flock to which the Lord has given you, just as I have commanded you, and you may eat within your gates as much as your heart desires. Just as the gazelle and the deer are eaten, so you may eat them. The clean and the unclean alike may eat them. Only be sure that you do not eat the blood, for the blood is the life. You may not eat the life with the meat. You shall not eat it. You shall pour it on the earth like water. You shall not eat it, that it may go well with you. You shall not eat it, that you may go well with you and your children after you. 
and when you do what is right in the sight of the Lord. Only the holy things which you have and your vowed offerings you shall take and you shall go to the place that the Lord chooses. And you shall offer your burnt offerings, the meat and the blood, on the altar of the Lord your God. And the blood of your sacrifices shall be poured out on the altar of the Lord your God. You shall eat the meat. Observe and obey all these words which I have commanded you, that, I, that it may go well with you and your children after you forever, when you do what is good and right in the sight of the Lord your God. When the Lord your God cuts off from before you the nations which you go to dispossess and displace them and dwell in their land, take heed to yourself that you are not ensnared to follow them after they are destroyed from before you, and that you do not inquire after their gods, saying, How did these nations serve their gods? I also will do likewise. You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way. For every abomination to the Lord, which he hates, they have done to their gods. For they burn even their sons and daughters in the fire to their gods. Whatever I command you, be careful to observe it. You shall not add to it, nor take it away. All right, this is the word of the Lord. Awesome. Okay. There was a lot there. I don't even know where to start, but, um, but does anyone have a, a, a thought on what they've just read or just heard? Is there something there that they've just noticed for the very first time? That last uh, sentence. Scotland just appeared. Hey, Linda. Hey. It's good to see that Scotland have, uh, arrived. Uh, William <laughs> Wallace, good night. <laughs> what was that, Neville? Yeah, the last sentence, you shall not add to it or take from it. I hadn't realized that the revelation had nicked that line from there. Yeah. So I, um, I had to look that up. Okay, I had to, to, to um, go do a bit of research as to what uh, Jewish exegesis thinks of what it means to um, uh, uh, take away or to add. Um, it's, it doesn't mean what we think. It does not mean to add to a verse or to take away from a verse. It's, it's an it's a idiom. When we get to it, I'll do my best to try and explain what it means. And then we can take that thinking and we can put it into uh, Revelation. Okay? Let's see what, see what it says. All right. So picking it up. Yeah. Sorry, Aaron. Yeah, one uh, thing that I'd never noticed, you can eat meat as long as if, if it's too far, you can eat meat in your own <laughs> backyard. The, the interesting thing I never noticed in verse 22, he says, you can, you, so you may eat of it. The unclean and the clean alike, you may eat of it. Yes, that's actually the person, not the animal. The animal, yeah. Yes, so it means that... Mm -hmm. um, because, because um, uh, most of Israel, for most of their life, is actually ritually unclean. Now, ritual uncleanliness isn't a sin. It just means you can't go before, the, before God. So, for example, um, uh, I'm married and 
you know, we decide to have a special cuddle, which is a good thing, okay, and uh, should be done often. And um, there you go. But now we're ritually unclean. We haven't sinned at all. We've actually obeyed the Lord. But we can't physically go before the Lord in that state. We can wander around the city. We can go to work. We can visit friends. We can do all kinds of things. But when it's time for us to actually do something holy, we go to a, a mikvah and, uh, and have a baptism and become ritually clean. And so this is something that Yeshua, that's something that Jesus did all the time. He also became ritually unclean. It's not a sin. Um, it's just things that happened to his physical body because he was a physical person that, 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 that stained uh, the, that nature and needed to, be, needed to be cleansed. So burying dad. Yeshua would have buried his earthly father. He was a, a good, devout boy. But having touched a dead body would make him ritually unclean. So he would have had to have had a mikvah and anything, anything um, like that. And even walking into the home of a Gentile, of a Roman soldier, would have had the same. Cornelius. quite happy to do that. Yes, absolutely right. And so what you end up doing is, um, is uh, oh, I'm sorry, let's have a look at the chat. What have you got there? Uh, Bernard, do you want to say something? Um that we can find those laws, the, the ritually clean laws, uh, in Leviticus 17. Yep. Mm -hmm. yes. Yeah, I, I just thought that was, yeah, I thought it was referring to the animal, so that makes a lot more sense. Yeah, it's, it's for the human. So there's still things that are forbidden and still things that are not forbidden uh, for Jewish people to eat. But um, what's interesting is this heavy emphasis on meat in this chapter. When, mm -hmm. when I read it, and I, had, I read it several times thinking, why, why are we talking about meat? Because um, oddly enough, when you travel around the world today, you meet lots of vegetarians. Okay? <laughs> Veganism seems to be the big uh, be-all and end-all of uh, Western civilization. And, um, not in Brazil. Not in Brazil? Not in Brazil. Okay, <laughs> praise the Lord. Okay, come into Brazil. <laughs> Australia. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I remember... It's still strange in Africa when you say when somebody says I'm a vegetarian, it sounds. Um, you just eat. Place. You just eat them. Okay, so okay. Well, we'll eat them. Fine. And Argentina. They and love Argentina. Yeah. We were. I was in uh, uh, Ohio, and I was uh, um, on Shabbat, and I was attending a Messianic congregation, and I stood up to give the drasha, and. Um, part of the, the Torah portion and the Haftarah portion was on um, the temple in Ezekiel. And, and you know, very eschatological and all that kind of stuff. I'll talk about animals again. And after the service, this, this lady walked up and she said, yeah, I've got a real problem with that, you know, because I'm a vegan. And I, I really can't understand why we would eat meat in the, in the new world, you know. Why would God do that? And I'm sort of looking at her going, well, I'm going to be honest, you got a problem. The Bible ain't got a problem. <laughs> I ain't got a problem, okay? But you've got a problem. If, if, if. You need to work this out. Um, and God here is, is very quite explicit. He has already permitted people to eat meat ever since uh, the Gentile Noah. And here, you know, he says, look, if, if your heart desires it, knock yourselves out. You know, it's, it's not a problem but there's a particular meat that you're not allowed to eat. 
So the firstborn is mine. You can have anything else, but but not uh, not the the firstborn of your woman, and no blood. But we'll we'll get to that bit in a minute. Aaron, Roddy, uh, the Levites, they don't have a share of inheritance of anything. That I'm missing is, this. We we are going to have to mention that and talk about that because that is an interesting question, and it actually comes to light again in this week's parasha, okay, which is the, the, the parasha Hashavua, the Torah portion of this week, is in Numbers, and it's the story of Pinchas, Pinchas. who, who, um, yeah. who gets, gets, zealous, he gets zealous for the Lord, yep. and he stabs uh, uh, a Midianite girl, princess actually, and a prince of Israel. So, you know, these, these are royalty, and he himself is actually the grandson of Aaron. And there's all kinds of interesting um, theological connections to, to do with that. And again, here in this chapter, chapter 12, God is very concerned about making sure that the Levites also come and participate in worship, which is interesting because who's actually facilitating the tabernacle? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, <laughs> Levites, you better come and worship with your other fellow Levites. Uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> but uh, that, that's kind of what they have to do. Um, yeah. And, um, Aaron, one thing that um, just jumps at uh, me on these um, verses is that, yeah, after mentioning the meat, the emphasis on, on the blood, yeah. that one should not partake in the blood. I know he repeated it again and make more emphasis on it and began to explain why you shouldn't partake in the blood is because the, the life of the animal is the blood. I mean, it's a very, very serious um, thing. I know we have a lot of culture in Africa that they, they partake of blood um, of animals. They, they kind of um, dry it, then fry it, then it, it, it tastes like meat. I've not tried it before. But, um, but it's so, it's so, uh, the emphasis is very strong there. Right. Yeah. I have a question, Aaron. I just don't want to get off track, but just throw it out there real quick. They couldn't eat meat before, and then in chapter nine, they could. What? Why? Yeah. <laughs> any midrash? Any thoughts on that? I, I don't well, want to go off on a. No, that's that's, that's a fair fair question because um um as as many of you know, I study with a small group of of, of rabbis several times a week, and um, uh, we often come up to this discussion on the wanderings in the wilderness where we get manna, but we have flocks, where initially in the garden we weren't supposed to eat meat, but now we can eat meat whenever we feel like it. Um, there's, there's all kinds of tension as to um, what actually really is food, what was the original purpose of food, how much does God acquies, acquiesce to let us eat whatever, whatever we like. Um, it, it, gets, it gets very complicated. Um, uh, if, if God didn't want us to eat meat, why do we have a, a Pesach? Why do we have a lamb sacrifice? Um, which, in case anybody didn't know, lamb, she very tasty. Okay? You roast this up with bitter herbs. You're like, yes, Lord. Any other great festivals? I'm ready to receive them. Um, so, <laughs> and someone comes along and says, what, what about donuts? Oh, good call. Okay, we'll do that one too. Um, but anyway, yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting thought. Okay, so verse 8 of Deuteronomy, where, where Moses says to the people, and this is in relation, right, 
to, to worship. Okay? You shall not at all do as we are doing here today, every man doing what is right in his own eyes. Okay? So what are they doing in the wilderness? Okay, the, the, what, what Moses has been talking about, he's been talking about there's a special place that's going to be part of Israel, special piece of territory, which we now know as Shiloh, Shiloh, where God's going to set up his tabernacle and you're going, all the people are going to come for a very long time, 369 years. And um, this is where you're going. And, and, and God is, is very pacific. Don't, don't worship like everybody else. Cut down their sacred trees. Cut down their Asherah poles. Do not follow their gods. Don't, don't um, worship on high mountains. You have one place. Then he says, don't do what we've been doing today. So what, is that, uh, what does it seem like Israel's been doing in the wilderness? It seems that Israel, in their worship, that they've kind of been doing what they've pleased. Exactly how they did that, it is not described. How they get around the tabernacle, not 100% sure, because they have already a centralized focus of worship. There's been some tension with it. Uh, we've had the incident with Korah. We've had the incident with um, Nadav and Aminadav with the, with the fire coming down from heaven and burning them up. Uh, We've had incidences where inappropriate worship has, has, um, has come about. But what Moses is saying here is real worship is actually what pleases God, not what pleases yourself. Okay? So don't do, yeah, don't do worship to please yourself. Do worship to please God. There is a difference. Devil? Can I yeah, just share a, a couple of verses from Psalm 95? Um, this is quite a well-known psalm. Um, just reading from verse 9, say, and it's about the Lord's attitude to the wilderness wanderings. Um, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day of Massah in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. For 40 years I loathed that generation and said, they are a people who go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. Therefore I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Yeah. yeah it's a harsh comment on the wilderness, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, which is an interesting thought. They've seen miracles, yet that didn't save them. They saw God do mighty actions, yet that didn't change their behavior. All right. Uh, so, what about let's let's do it. Let's take it into our modern uh, environment. Shall we make a comment on modern worship? Anyone would like to make a comment on modern worship in relation to this verse? How about this? Modern worship should not be self-focused or focused on a personal experience. It should be focused on God. One of our problems is we're still concerned, just, just like Israel is doing things that are right in our own eyes. And, uh, and, and rather, God is saying, no, 
Make sure your heart's right. Make sure you're having an experience of joy with me. Make sure you're coming to me um, and, uh, and not just doing it when, wherever you, you feel like it. Um, I've, I've always, when I've read these verses, I have to admit that I don't understand what the role of the tabernacle was then in the 40 years of wandering. What really was Aaron and his, his, his Levites doing to, to try and motivate the people? If God, through the, through the Psalms, uh, through Moses, um, gets quite harsh with that generation, I, I don't know. It, it does mean that we have to be very careful in our own worship styles. Mm. Let's make sure that when we're worshipping the Lord, we're making sure that we're focused on God not just on a personal experience. And also that when we come into God's presence, we come into presence with, with, with joy. Now, I know that, and we all have it, you know, we, we can go to, to church sometimes, we can go to Shabbat services, and we just, just might not feel like being there. Um, it, we could be tired, we could be really concerned about a birthday that's coming up, we could really could be concerned about a, an argument we've had with our spouses or the... No loss of a job, and all of those are real experiences, and God knows those those experiences. But He's also holy, and He's also incredibly generous, and He's also an incredible lover, and He's also an incredible uh, God. And when we come into His presence, we have to remember that He delights in us, and we need to do our best to delight in Him. Aaron, yes, sir. So, um. You've got the first generation in the desert doing as they like. They're not going to enter into the land that's promised. But their children are going to, and they're going to have to be prepared and taught in the things that they will do because they will come with the tabernacle across the Jordan. Yeah. It's just an offer of, of one particular, one option of, of why they would have the tabernacle so that that generation will be ready when they cross. Could be, it could be that, um, yeah, it could be that they, they took a bit of while to practice. It could also be that the actual uh, information that comes down from Sinai took a took a while to digest within the community. That um, uh, that it, it took a bit to actually play out as to this is actually how you, you obey the law. I'm going to ask um, Aaron. Yep. Just um, also to to emphasize the the attitude of the children of Israel, if you read in Judges, um, Judges 21, verse 25, it says, In those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone did as he pleased. You know, it's kind of um, the same kind of um, concept of what they were doing there in the wilderness. Because now they took it into the land, and they were doing everyone as he pleased, because there was no king in Israel. Yes. In, in, in Judges, it applies to the monarchy. Right here, it applies to worship. So we cannot have a government the way we like. We have to have God as our king. We cannot do worship just whenever we feel like it. Okay? You worship in the way that God wants you to do it. And uh, we can't just behave the way we feel like it. We behave the way God wants us to, to feel like it. Um, it if, if God is the king of your life, he must be king of every aspect of it. That includes our politics, our behavior, our theology, the way we 
handle our family life, uh, the way we handle our economies, etc., etc., etc. Yep, absolutely. And and it replays itself in judges classically because they requote this line. And, yeah. and there, there they, they, they tend to throw it towards the monarchy as a problem. Um, but Moses here is, is really laying hard on um, on theology. Don't don't worship like them. Do not be like them. Um, and in fact, don't even be like yourselves for the last forty years. Be like this. <laughs> okay, we got a, We got a special way of being. So, in Aaron, verse, yeah, one interesting trend that happens widely these days is the using the word worship just to refer to singing and musical instruments. You know, the pastor may say, oh, you know, after the reading of the scriptures, oh, I'm going to hand over to the worship team. We, we unconsciously make this association that, that worship has become narrower than actually the God ordained it. Yes, that, that, well said, yes, yes. We've begun to think that worship, yeah, is in the hands of a few um, well-talented people who can sing some very good songs. Often, yeah, and they're paid actually. Whereas worship, good worship, is a lot more than that. Okay, so in verse nine, so we can't do what everybody wants to do in his own right. Um, the Lord says, "For as yet you have not come into the rest and the inheritance which the Lord your God is giving you." Right. So, um, the 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 conquest of the land will result in an inheritance it, it will become something that will become like a uh that you get given because you're part of a family and it will result in rest um what does that mean we'll talk about it in a minute and um and again i just want to make the point again that the conquest of the land does not get a festival in the bible Right? It is not something that you celebrate in ancient Israel. You do in modern Israel. We have Yom Hatzmaut, Independence Day. But in the Bible, that is something that you don't celebrate, which is interesting because the conquest of the land is not a holy act, is it? What does it involve? It involves slaughter. Slaughter, okay? It involves horror. It involves everything that is actually something God doesn't like. However, the people have done the most detestable things before the Lord. This is actually the only result. This is now the, the final result of their sin. But it is not something that is then celebrated by the people or, or by God. Um, and so you find no festival that remembers this. Instead, the only festivals we have, Pesach, Sukkot, Shavuot, all remember the times before we got in the land. Right? We all know we were going to get in the land. Once we were in the land, we were going to obey the Torah. We were going to follow the Lord our God. We were actually going to have a centralized place of worship, and we were going to go there, and it was going to be fantastic. And we were going to create these refugee cities, and we were going to create this absolute utopia, light to the nations, and all that kind of stuff. But... Um, but, but uh, it was not something yet that had, uh, could become part of the religious calendar. Um, so what do you think, guys? What's the, uh, what are your thoughts on, the, on, on God saying, um, 
when you get into the land, you're going to get rest. You know, this interesting concept, land, blessing, rest. It's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting concept. Um, I'm not 100% sure what God was referring to there. Well, they didn't rest a whole lot. They had to go and take the land. Yeah, I know. That's what I thought. <laughs> kind of busy. It, it, it seemed a little busy, yeah, but, but it actually uses the word um, uh, menuach, like uh, to, to rest and have comfort. Um, it, it, it does use that word. It's not the word shevet, like to sit and stop and do nothing. It actually is lenoach, to, to, to rest. And, Maybe it's uh, then, the yeah, uh, result of the, uh, the peace that comes after the conquest. Yeah. Not, but it had a, as they say, he says it had a long tail to it. You know, there was they were mopping up and had trouble spots all over the place for for tens and hundreds of years to come. Yes, yeah, poor guy. And also, they um, they didn't really finish. Con they so many enemies are still in the land to the point that they had no rest and they had to hide in caves from the yeah. Philistines. And that's right. So because because the Philistines are actually not in the land at this time. So what's interesting is you've got Canaanites there and Hittites and a few other various uh, populations, and the Canaanites, um, sorry, the, the, the Philistines, have been doing their, their darndest to invade Egypt, which they fail, and, um, and then they actually get pushed up the coast. And so they end up uh, invading uh, portions of Canaan, in fact, large portions of it at some, some parts of their history. Um, but they're not there at the time. We, we, we haven't actually talked about Philistines because they're not here. Right? Um, in fact, uh, Hebrew Philistines that means a usurper, right? They're, they're, that's their, their name, the usurpers. Aaron, um, the concept of race, um, from what I've, um, from my, my own concept before now, is being that um, because of the slavery they were in Egypt, and um, the harshness of the, of the bondage, now they're coming into their own land, which they're not going to longer be slaves, and so they're going to have rest in that concept. Yep, could be. Yep, absolutely. And also God's going to enlarge it and say you're going to get rest from everybody around about. Not only just you're going to have rest internally, mm. you have rest uh, from, from the outside, which I think actually is the next one, next verse, verse 10. But when you cross over the Jordan even though the side that they're on is still also called the promised land, and dwell in the land which the Lord your God is giving you to inherit, and he gives you rest from all your enemies round about so that you dwell in safety. Right? So um, God will provide a rest from, from the enemies, um, but it's not just God. Who else is also part of the, of the solution? Them. Yes, the armies of Israel. So, um, you, you know, this sort of idea that I, I know that there isn't the verse in the Bible that says God helps those that helps themselves. That's, that's not an actual <laughs> verse, okay? It's true. It's not a verse in the Bible. However, God works with humans. It's amazing, though, today, that's the last thing that Israel has is rest from their enemies. Yeah, I know. We're still waiting for, you know, Lord, anytime you're ready, we're ready to have peace with Syria. We all want to visit Damascus and see where John the, John, John the Baptist and where Saul was and all those kind of guys. We'd love to see it, okay? Um, and you know what? There's a, there's a, there's a, a lot of, of Arabs and Assyrians and, and Iraqis that, that, that live in the Middle East that want to come to Israel too. 
that uh, they don't hate Israel, they would, would love to come. And, and may God bring that rest where he gives us peace from our enemies soon. Amen. Amen. All right. So, but it's going to happen. So there is a, a future promise of shalom, of this peace that is going to happen. Um, well, actually, he doesn't say peace. He actually says rest. There, is, there might even be a difference. Okay. The, the, the word again is comfort and, and, and rest. Lenoah, okay, like Noah. the word Noah. Uh, then there will be a, a then there will be the place where the Lord your God chooses to make His name abide. So God waits. He waits until you get into the land, have done the conquest, and then you can set up the tabernacle. Um, basically, you've got to do your job first. Okay, right? You know, get, get the job done, then, then you can go play. And uh, there you will bring all that I've commanded you. And again, we get the list. The but burned Aaron, Yes? So I, I would uh, I'd argue a little bit with that because of the Gilgals that we see starting outside of Jericho. When they come across the river, they're there for a few months. They have a Pesach. Yep. We have this area that I don't think you could argue that it's not the Israelites. Very, very large area, 200 meters long by 100 meters wide. Obviously, a place to have sacrifices. Um, all the bones and all the other archaeological indicia that they find point to the Israelites. Yes. We find six of these going up and terminating in Ebal and Gerizim. So, I I would argue that we can put this where God puts his name from the moment they cross the land all the way up until God takes them to Shiloh. Yes, like for example, the tabernacle didn't stop doing its sacrifices even in the desert. Right. And so once you cross the Jordan, you would have set up the tabernacle, which would have continually done the daily sacrifices. So yes, absolutely. In archaeology, as Rod is saying, you do find these areas that, 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 that replicate the movement of the tabernacle, including all the sacrificial elements thereof, bones, uh, incense, you know, um, in some parts of Israel uh, that included drugs. Isn't that right, Roddy? Yes, this is what they tell me. Yes, yeah, what they tell me too. Okay. Yeah. A very special form of incense was put on the altar in, in parts, of, uh, parts of Israel. Um, anyway... Um, I have another, another thing, Aaron, about, well, then Yeshua came and died. And then for another 40 years, they're still doing sacrifices. Absolutely. Yes. And, and if you read the Talmud, they, they even say that some years, the, the, the cord that tell, told them that the sacrifice was um, red. received went red, and sometimes it went white. And so... You know, it seems to be that, that it continued in, the, in this fashion. And then a future Messianic temple with sacrifices. Yes. How do you... Once you yes, you, it's, a tough, it's a tough one. Once you get into Ezekiel, <laughs> you do get back to this um, image. However, I think that this, this chapter answers that question because, because God says, when you're in the land, make sure you follow my commandments. Also, if you, you built a temple in Jerusalem, the most logical thing you would do is follow the commandments. 
Um, you can't build a temple in New York. You can't build it in Australia. You, you certainly can't build it in Germany. Okay. Um, so, so you don't do those things outside the land, just inside. We, we have to differentiate between sacrifice and offering. Correct. There are those two completely different things. Correct. There is the, 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 there are those that are free will offerings, and then there is the korbanot, the korban pesach, and, mm-hmm. and things like that, um, uh, or the zvachim, the things you put on the altar. Right. Um, for here, you get the, the burnt offerings, the olah, the sacrifices, the zvachim, the, the things, the zveach, the, the things you put on the um, altar. Your tithes, which are plural, that's not just one, and it doesn't mean the church tax. Okay, you heave offerings of your hand, that is the stuff that you produce with your own hands, right? Um, and, uh, and all of your choice offerings which you vow to the Lord. So there's a variety of different things that are given before God, and they are given in a particular place. And then in verse 12, once again, okay, um, uh, you shall rejoice before the Lord your God. Uh, again, that, that, that you, you, you bring all of these things before the Lord in a, in a certain place, and then you have joy. Let's try and, and think in our modern period. Um, can you worship God on the golf course? What's the answer? <laughs> yes. Yeah, correct. Now, now, give me the dot, dot, dot at the end. <laughs> <laughs> You can ask for a hole in one, but it doesn't mean you can get it. Yeah. So you 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 can you can worship God on the golf course. It's true. Yeah. But if that is the only place you're worshiping God, you got a problem, right? If you, if this sort of inward desire is like, oh, I'm not going to go to to be with my brothers and sisters. I'm not going to go to a Bible study. I can worship God anyway. I'm going to worship God on a golf course. I have a suspicion you're not worshiping God. And so, and God's pretty clear, don't do that, okay? Don't try and trick me and think that, uh, that uh, you, can, you, can, you can worship me on a golf course and not show up into my holy building. And so, yeah, you can. You can worship God anywhere you like. It's true. You can worship God 24-7. But as Paul says, do not stop the, the, the habit of meeting together in fellowship. In fact, in, uh, in the... In the um, uh, the Didache, it says every day, go find the company of the saints, right? It is, it is, it is not something we do by ourselves. You, you, you get together in groups and you go to certain places and, uh, and you worship the Lord. In this case, he was very pacific. You come to a certain spot and that's, and that's where you go. And, uh, and not only that, you, you show up and you have joy. Now, he knows us better than we know ourselves. So he knows our emotions. But he still wants us to understand that one of our connections with the Lord is through joy. And, 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 and I know, brothers and sisters, everybody here, when we have a, a, a worship service that just fills us with rapture, do you not feel close to the Lord? You know you do. It's, it's absolutely incredible. You know, God is, is, is love. God is joy. God is peace. God is all those things. And when you feel those emotions, there's somehow that little connection that, that we get. 
And so verse 12, you shall rejoice before the Lord your God. And it's not just us, it's sons and daughters, families, servants. Oh, my gosh, you know, that's always a tough one. Can we or can we not have servants or slaves? Not going to go there right now. But they are going to show up and worship the Lord too. Okay, The whole household is come. So you don't inhibit anyone's social standing from coming before the Lord. Once you come before the Lord, you're all equal. You might be rich, you might be poor, you might be a, a landowner, you might not have land, you might own a, a business, you might work for a business, but when you come before the Lord, it's, it's the same. And the Levite who is within your gates, okay, since he has no portion nor inheritance uh, with you, okay. Um, um, Aaron? Yep. Um, I know you don't want to discuss this now, which I agree, but the concept of slave yep. in, the, in the Torah is different from the concept of slavery in our modern day life. Yes, it is. If you see the, yeah, very different. So, but, you know, a lot of people read it and they want to use the same concept to judge it. And it, 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 it gives a very, very terrible picture. But if you look at it and you look at the, the conditions of having a slave, and the, what the obligation of the owner in the Torah have to do to the slave, it's not the same concept of what we have as slavery. Correct, in our time. absolutely. It's more like an indentured servant kind of It concept. is, because you actually had to eventually set them free. Which, yes, which, which yes, implied yes. that man was never meant to be owned by another man. Absolutely. The, the econ God, God knew that in the ancient economy, it was going to happen that some people come along and say, you know what, I actually can't pay you. And the guy goes, oh, my gosh, what do you mean you can't pay me? That's no good. And, the, and his only recourse to get his money back was to sell the guy into slavery. So there, there was this form, but it was never meant to be the end point. So at some point, you had to, you had to let them free and you had to, have, you had to give the redeemer the opportunity to come and buy back the family and there was all kinds of rules mm -hmm. and you had to treat the slave kindly and he had yeah. to come before the Lord, which is also yeah. interesting, right? You know, you, you, if you owned humans, I know that sounds really horrible, but if, you <laughs> to, if you happen to own a few humans, it was like, you know, you know we got some workers here and I got some slaves, guys were all going to worship the Lord. <clears throat> and the slaves would go, you know, we haven't got any offerings. And, and the guy goes, well, you have to come anyway. And God's going to listen to your prayers. It's time to be joyful, yeah. people. We're going to eat and drink. And for a brief moment in time, we're all going to be equal. Um, uh, you're going to have to all work right. hard next week when I get back. But, you know, that's a And God, he wants the Levite to show up, right? The Levite who, who is there. Now, that is an interesting... Um, uh, the, the Levites get a special mention. They also get a special mention... In 19, where, where uh, Moses says, Take heed to yourself, this is verse 19, that you don't forsake the Levite as long as you live in the land. Now, why, why are they mentioning the Levite? This is like the third time that God's mentioned Levites. Um, let's go back, biblical history. Remember that in the ancient world, you didn't read the Bible, you heard. Okay, so if you heard the word, the Leviim. Le Levi, Levi, who do you think of? First thing that comes to your head, what is it? Korah. 
Okay, you think you're poorer, okay? He's a Levite, yeah, absolutely. Doesn't work out so well for him. But his kids come out really good. Okay, who else? Keep going back. Go back a bit, bit further. Moses is a Levite. Yeah, Moses is a Levite. Now, isn't that interesting? The children of Israel are led by Levites. You get into the land, your first king's from Benjamin, but the Redeemer is going to come from Judah. But we put our, 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 our tabernacle in Ephraim. Yeah, it's very interesting the way it all plays out in terms of tribes. But, but the, 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 Aaron, the Levites are the Lord God is the Levites' inheritance. Am I correct? Yes, that's right. The Levites don't get territory. The Lord is their inheritance. Okay, but let's go all the way back. Keep going. Okay, first? Can, I, can I talk about Simeon and Levi? Yes. The way they please. reacted to... Um, the rape of their sister. They did nasty things to the men of uh, Shechem, and the punishment was, you will be scattered in Israel. But their response was different. So for Levi, it ended up being a way of being scattered in Israel, which in the service of the Lord. Simeon was scattered and dispersed in Judah and ends up without much of an identity. That is correct. Yeah. Yep. Simeon and Levi attempted to take vengeance on Dina. They were not supposed to do that. They butchered uh, defenseless people, and Jacob was very unhappy. And you get the, the, the result of Levi and Simeon being um, actually chastised cursed. and cursed. They get cursed. They get cursed, yes. Now, the result, the result is... They go in two different directions. Simeon gets a small piece of territory surrounded by Judah. He does not learn. Uh, Levi learns. He has a few other issues. He's got problems with Korah. He's got problems with uh, Nadav and Aminadav. He's got issues with that. Um, but, but Moses and Aaron still lead the people, and the, people and, and the Levites uh, get um, territory scattered throughout Israel. That is a, a good thing for Israel. It protects um, innocent uh, people when, who, are, who are fleeing from the kinsman redeemer. There are things that are, are very beneficial for them. They are the only ones allowed to carry the ark. They, they minister within the tabernacle before the Lord. And in, in, in this week's parasha, we end up with a guy called Pinchas, who is the son of Elazar, who's the son of Aaron. So he's the grandson of Aaron. He's a Levite. And he um, stabs Zimri, and the uh, daughter of the Moabite king, so a Moabite princess, whose name I've forgotten, but it's mentioned in the text too. And uh, he is from which tribe? He's from Simeon. So Simeon and Levi go out and do the thing with Dinah. And at the end of the story, because remember in Jewish, Jewish exegesis, beginnings and ends all often occur in the same way, in the same fashion. One uh, son of Jacob has learned, one has not. And so you end up with Levi killing Simeon and, and uh, God saying, this has wiped out the sin of the people, okay, this, this, this zeal. And so you end up with this uh, Brit Shalom, the covenant of peace. Covenant of Shalom. Yeah. Yes, which, which doesn't occur anywhere else in the Bible, and it is given to Pinchas and his descendants, um, however, there is a hint of it in Malachi. 
in Malachi chapter 2, verse 4, it talks about the Levites and it talks about the covenant of peace that God has with them. So it seems to be that uh, in the last of the prophets, they were still considering the uh, covenant to be in effect with, with the descendants of, uh, of Levi, which is a, a very nice thing. But here, Moses is saying, you take care of them. Okay? You make sure that they also show up. Okay? Just because they've got special cities, just because they've got special jobs in my kingdom, that doesn't excuse them from coming to be with me in joy, in fellowship. Uh, now, isn't that an interesting thought? Okay. We have to take you have to take care of your shepherds, but at the same time, you have to make sure your shepherds also worship the Lord. Um, sometimes we don't keep our shepherds accountable enough. Okay? But God certainly wants them to be. What was that? Along with that, along with that um, the curse that's in Genesis forty-nine. It's yep. cursed be their anger, for it was fierce. Mm. And their wrath, it was cruel. And then it says, God says, I will divide them in Jacob, not Israel. He uses the word Yaakov. Yep. And scatter them in Israel. And I, I just find that really interesting. So this is the scattering that we're here, seeing here when we read these verses. Yeah. The Israelites come across and he scatters them throughout the entire land. Yeah. Yep. But they're supposed to be in the tabernacle. This is what I'm lost on this. I don't understand. Okay, no, so they always are, and then they what happens is they go into all these different cities, and um, what they do is they send representatives to the temple uh, on a uh, annual basis. On a schedule. On a schedule, yeah. Cyclical, yeah. Yeah, cyclical, yeah. So um, they were constantly sending their cream of the crop to go and worship the ones without defects, the ones that were, were well-trained. Uh, and so the temple always had the best-looking priests. It always had the ones who were well-trained. I, I know that sounds really weird, but let's think about that. If you're going to have a priesthood that's going to represent God, what should it look like? Perfection. It had better look like the best. Like you wouldn't want to go to the temple of God and find you know, every second priest had only, had, had only one leg and one arm, you know? <laughs> because you, you, your, your thought would be, well, what kind of God is this? He must be the God of the paraphernalia, you know? Um, but, but no, you've got this, this sort of physical representation of, of, of God. So he was actually quite specific in who could, could, could come before him. Um, but here, Moses makes sure, oh, and make sure you bring those Levites with you, okay? They're not, they've got to come to uh, verse 13, take heed to yourself that you do not offer your burnt offerings in every place that you see. Right? Um, worship does not occur where we want, but where God wants. Right? What does that mean? It means you're not allowed to worship God in a strip club. Okay. okay, you can't say, oh, I can worship the Lord anytime I like, so I'm just going to go to uh, this interesting place over here and praise the Lord for good-looking girls. Not a good idea. Okay. Um, you, you can't do that. There are some places that you just can't uh, and shouldn't, and we all know, we all, we all would agree, there are places you don't go and worship the Lord on. Um, uh, Aaron. Yes, sir. Uh, I think last week I read a really interesting commentary on, well, it's not 
it wasn't on worship, but it was on prayer. Yeah. It was it was a rabbi, rabbinical source. Yes. And how the place we're supposed to pray at shouldn't be dirty. Yes, that's correct. Or have a, a bad smell or anything like that. That's right. So if you, that's right. So the, the, the worship places of God need to be clean. They've got to be well maintained. They've got to look nice. Um, and uh, they've, they've got to reflect the character of God. And I guess that's one of the reasons why even in, in churches all over the world, and in synagogues all over the world, you don't put things inside them without really thinking about it first. Right? People choose what sort of carpet to put on the floor. They, they choose what sort of chairs to sit in. They choose what sort of images that they're going to put on the walls. Will they, will they put banners? What will those banners say? You know, we, we, you don't just throw up whatever you feel like it. Um, and yeah, it, it, it is, it's, it reflects the character of God. All right. Yes, on that, on that uh, note of, you know, having a very clean place for worship, you know, one of the things the Lord said to the children of Israel, I think it's in Leviticus, that um, they should have a hand thrower as part of their equipment so that they, when, when they went to use the, the, the bathroom, then they do recover it. Yes. So that he, the Lord that defends them when he's, he doesn't come and see the excrement and turn back from defending them. So the, when we have a very dirty environment, it, it, it repels the, the spirit of God. Yeah, because God is clean. God is life. God yeah. is holy. And you can't have this, this other thing. Um, even to in modern day Judaism, although it is an ancient practice, you can't take a Bible into the toilet. Right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, so when yeah. you when you go to the bathroom, when you when you're walking around Israel and you think, oh, I need to go to the bathroom in Jerusalem or wherever, they actually have a bookshelf where you put your Bibles and holy books there. Mm -hmm. Go to the bathroom and collect them on the way out. Now, usually yeah. they're still there. Okay, I mean, we don't don't always steal them. Although I did lose one by accident. Okay. Anyway, all right. So verse fifteen. So now God uh, is switching to to um, this, this uh, sacred food. However, you may slaughter and eat meat within all your gates, whatever your heart desires, according to the blessing of the Lord your God, which he has given you. The clean and the unclean may eat of it, of the gazelle and the deer alike. Now, in the ancient world, okay, every time, almost every time that an animal was slaughtered, it was predominantly done as an action of worship to a God. All right. Um, now, why would they do that? Why do you think that in all of the ancient world, and it wasn't just a tradition that the Egyptians had, it was everybody did it. Why do you think they did? Where's the source of killing an animal for God come from? What do you think? Yeah comes from the very beginning when he had to take the death of an animal to cover Adam and Eve. Yep. There you go. Yep. So there is a tradition that inhabits the entire world because everybody eventually comes from Noah, yes? Yes. Mm. And so yep. Noah and his family are carrying with them this entire history, human history that of pre-flood history. And it has stories of Cain and Abel offering sacrifices to God, 
of animals being given to God, of Adam, you know, uh, doing things, of Noah uh, offering sacrifices, of Shem offering sacrifices. And so it seems to be that that kernel of, of historical and theological truth infected even pagan societies. They kept it. They, they didn't obviously keep worshipping God. They got new ones. But they kept the practice that whenever we kill an animal, it's to God. And so that's the way it was. And so God comes along with his people and he says, look, you know what? This really kind of wasn't the way it was supposed to be, okay? You can kind of kill whatever you like and eat it. You don't have, it's not mine, all right? It's yours. There are certain animals that are mine, right? Firstborn from the womb, something that you've decided to devote to me, okay? Um, a free will offering. Those you can't have because they're mine. You've given them to me. But if you happen to get hungry, feeling like a good steak dinner, got some friends over, knock yourselves out. You don't offer it to a pagan god. You don't offer it to me. It's, it's, it's yours. And it's linked to the generosity and blessing of God. You acknowledge, hey, the Lord has blessed me. I have a cow. Let's eat and rejoice. Next week, I'm off to Jerusalem. I'll take this other one that I've kept. You know, this is the firstborn. This one's for God, but this one right here, this one, this one's uh, for mine. You know, Aaron, this I, this concept of um, at the beginning, it was only the Lord that I mean, the sanctity of life. So He was the one at the beginning that could only take life. Then later, that got passed on to uh, humans. Right. Yes. It, the, the God creates life. Yes, and life is in the blood. And as we see in this chapter, blood has to be poured out to God. Can't be consumed okay. by a human. Although, let's also note that in Genesis, it doesn't say God killed anything to clothe Adam. No. But so that would mean then that plants don't have life then, and they do. Yeah, that's a, they don't have the same life as, a, as an animal does in, in, in terms of uh, uh, this pouring out the blood onto the earth. However, Bernardo, you're making a good point. Grain offerings and, and exactly. sacrifices are of equal weight, except for Kulpenhek <laughs> Pasach. There are a few sacrifices where they're not the same weight. Like you can't, you can't offer a, a, a handful of barley for Passover. It has to be, it has to be a lamb. Um, but but in in Genesis and and, and mm. rabbis do note this. They note that when God made skin, it does not say He killed anything. Right? He puts the he puts for, for the covering of the tabernacle. Yeah, Aaron, may I ask a question? That's slightly off. Uh, is it that the, that the Lord God not also say that he had a problem with animals killing humans? Sorry? Didn't the Lord God not also say he had a problem with an animal shedding a human blood, for example? Yeah, he did. He did. He had, if, a, mm. if an animal shed a human blood, you go kill the animal. Right? Yeah, he, he, had, a, he had a problem with that. He did. You're right. Yeah. Wait, Aaron, I, had a, I just wanted to go a little bit on this point real quick. Adam and Eve, so the, the kapora, the, the, that, that uh, when he killed that animal, it's, so that's implied. We imply that that was for that. That wasn't explicitly stated. 
Yes. So if you actually, the, the reason why we do it is because it, it, it fits into good Christian theology. Mm -hmm. Okay. You know, the shedding of blood, that we need a covering. God kills something. There's blood, there's covering. And we, and we, and we lip it all together. And go, oh, that's kind of cool. Um, however, if you actually look at the text, the first person that actually physically kills anything is Abel. And so in Jewish tradition, with the only other, or in, in the Bible, the only other animal that's actually mentioned by name in the garden is, of course, the serpent. The serpent. And so what does God do? He takes the skin of the serpent and he uses that to make the clothes of Adam. And, uh, and that fits Jewish theology in, in where God takes whatever goes wrong, God makes it right. Restoration. So, yes. So the snake tempts, tempts, tempts the humans. And so God's, God fixes it by taking the skin of the, the snake and creating the, 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 the healing. So it, it, for, that theology shows up in the New Testament with, with um, David. Uh, David has 18 wives, but it's the, the 18th wife, the wife of, of Bathsheba, where, where there's adultery and sin and betrayal. That's the, the, one, that, that's the one that produces Messiah, not, not the other ones. So God takes things that are not working mm -hmm. and he makes them right. Which is the whole concept, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we can't go back to the garden because of the cherub, then he rips the curtain and we can go back. That, the, yeah, that concept, yes, of, yeah, that, that whole yeah. thing, he, he, he exactly constantly, constantly that's, so, yeah, that's wrong and he makes it right, right. Which, now, you and I have to mimic the Lord, right? You and I have to somehow put that into practice in our daily lives. We have to. As we as we deal with each other, as we as we struggle with with uh, the enemy of this world and our brothers and sisters, we have to see what's wrong and make it right, because that's what God. Yeah, does. what's the concept? It's the alum. And what is that? It's uh, yeah, it's the repair. Tikkun olam, heal the world. Tikkun olam, that's right. The reparation. Interesting on the serpent. Wow. Well, there, there is there is a verse in the New Testament. Uh, we've been studying it with um, REA, uh, which which talks about Paul says, "I join in and complete the sufferings of Jesus." And you're like, "What?" Uh, you know, it, it's it's the same similar Jewish idea. I'm joining in with the work of God, and I'm continuing to go about the redemption. I'm becoming part of the redem redemption plan. Not that I'm the one dying on the cross, no, but I'm telling everybody about it. I'm carrying the spirit for God to, to run around and fix things around the planet. Uh, does that make sense? Totally. Yeah. Totally. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so God's very specific in, in Deuteronomy about um, about where uh, you you eat, and if you happen to be hungry, you can kill whatever you like. And this goes against the the culture. The the, the it's countercultural. Everybody else is offering animals to gods, and God says, no, no, no. There's a particular type of animal that's mine, but the rest are, are yours. Okay. And, um, and after you have eaten, what does Deuteronomy tell us? Deuteronomy 11, anyone remember? Deuteronomy 11. Exactly, yes. So, you know, it, it's in the same, the, same, the same book. So after you have eaten, bless the Lord. Okay, this, this comes, comes uh, from God. Okay. 
Uh, verse 16, you shall not eat the blood. You shall pour it on the earth uh, like water. And, um, and God says that several times, and this is not the only book where he says it. Life is in the blood. God creates life. You can't eat it, so you have to pour it out on, on the, onto the earth. That might seem like a very bloodthirsty thing, but it does have some beauty to it if you think about it, that God creates life and it's got to go back to God. You don't throw it in the air and he catches it. You pour it out on, onto the altar in some descriptions and also in, in other parts to the, to the earth. Um, and then waters from heaven will, will clean it. Okay, verse 17, you may not eat uh, within your gates the tithe of the grain or your new wine of the oil or the firstborn of the herd of your flock or any of the offerings which you vowed or your free will offering or the heave offering of your hand. Right? So you can, you can eat whatever you'd like, but the first bits which we had dedicated to the Lord, those we must not. We only eat those where? In Jerusalem. Oh, well, Shiloh. But you must eat them before the Lord your God. Now, why would God want you to eat them in, in front of him? What's so special about that? It's a form of worship to God. Yes, part of the worship of God is fellowship with God. So it's not just going to you know, a, a, a place and saying, God, you're fantastic, you're great, you're awesome, allow me to sing a psalm and leave. And God's going, yeah, I know I'm great, I know I'm fantastic, trust me, I made the heavens and the earth pretty darn good from where I'm looking. He also wants to fellowship. He's like, okay, well, now that you're here, kind of like to spend some time with you. And so sit, eat, enjoy, and while you're doing it, bring your family. Show me your latest kid. You know, what you call it? You know, I see you've picked up a couple of uh, uh, servants. How did you get those guys? You know, what are their names? Uh, how many years are they going to, until they get free? You know, God wants and desires fellowship. And so he says, you come and you eat with me in joy. Okay? There's this, there's this, again, joy has a connection to, to, with the divine. And uh, it has to be in a special place, which we know. We know the name of the place, Shiloh. You should all go to it. Absolutely fantastic place. Uh, you, your son, your male servant, female servant, everyone's the same here. Uh, and the Levite, okay, don't, don't forget those guys, right? They have a special role in, uh, in, the, in, 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 in God's little plan here. They started out bad, but they came good, okay? And they have the permission to carry the ark. And, uh, and they also must come within, within, our, within the gates. And, uh, and they must also rejoice before the Lord in everything that you have put your hands. And that includes Levites. Levites are also working. They are not just sitting around um, practicing the odd sermon and getting ready to uh, sing a psalm in the temple. They also have businesses and they, they work farms and and they own property, and they must take whatever that is and, uh, and bring it also uh, to the Lord. And if they happen to, it happens to be their time to go to the temple and worship, well, they, they certainly uh, do that too. 
Okay. Um, so in relation to our current shepherds, how should, what should we do to encourage them to also worship the Lord? Okay. And uh, thinking of myself here being um, one of them, but uh, as a shepherd, we're not excluded from coming before the Lord and worshiping. Okay? In fact, we have to. And the community is encouraged to make sure that their shepherds are also doing that too. Now, um, there's always that tension within modern, uh, uh, it's not modern, it's quite an ancient problem. Um, do we pay our shepherds? Do we not? If they get jobs, does that mean they're not working 100% for the Lord? Um, what happens if we end up with a shepherd who sits on his bum all day and uh, really doesn't look after the people? Um, do we still keep paying him? It, it's a tension. And it's not something that, that we solve. Other than let's acknowledge that God's command is to make sure that our shepherds also come before him and worship. Right? And, uh, and that they, they must not be excluded from that. There's verse 19, take heed to yourself that you do not forsake the Levite as long as you live in your land. Okay? Don't forget them. They have to be uh, uh, catered for. But at the same time, they also have to make sure they're doing the job. All right. uh, verse 20. When the Lord your God enlarges your border as he promised you, and you say, let me eat meat, because you long to eat meat, you may eat meat as much, as much meat as your heart desires. I mean, vegetarians hate this verse, right? <laughs> I mean, it's, 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 eat as much as, you, as your heart desires. I mean, um, now I understand many of the hamburger restaurants in America, okay, because they, they end up producing meat that's about like that thick, okay. Um, if the place where the Lord your God chooses to put is too far, uh, then you may slaughter your herd and from your flock, which the Lord has given you, just as I have commanded you, and you may eat within your gates as much as your heart desires. What is that referring to? What, what, what is too far? What do you think? Because it's not clear. The distance from where they live, from the place the Lord has put his name, like in Shiloh, somebody yep. might be living a bit far from there. Yep. It's, it's an interesting concept. It, we, no one, I don't think, understands exactly what this phrase means if the place that the lord your god chooses is too far well, what does that mean what does too far mean does i mean obviously if i'm living in athens i have a problem getting to jerusalem but if i'm in haifa if i'm in Beersheba, what exactly does too far mean and if i am too far then it seems i'm allowed to sacrifice wherever i want is that true? Maybe he's drawing a distinction here between uh, the occasions when people have to come to uh, the place where the Lord dwells three times a year, which so that's for everybody. But if, let's say, you can't do it within a day's journey, you know, to one, you know, get up the day, take your take your fellowship offering, sacrifice it, have a have a meal, and come back within the same day. 
that might be you know for a routine sort of uh, thing then that might be considered too far is it is it possible that he could mean like um only one time a year instead of three i'm asking i don't know no it could be you know there is the command to appear to the lord three times a year and that's just not possible for everybody it just isn't physically possible and uh um and so you begin to start asking the question and and uh, in a lot in a bit of my research they start asking the question what is the purpose of a sacrifice particularly when there are we know there are verses from the prophets that say the blood and bulls and goats I didn't desire in the first place you're like okay so why did you ask me to do it then and then because the sacrifice provides covering until until um, the time of Yeshua that's why they did the sacrifices but right? what happens if you live in Athens and you can't you can only know. offer a sacrifice yeah. It's where the Lord chooses. <laughs> now, now, now he, now he even shortens it down. Uh, if it's even too far, don't even bother. You know, <laughs> it's like, oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, and during the Babylonian captivity, I mean, all of that time away from the land. And so, and I, and I heard an uh, an Israeli guy last night, actually, um, a guy called Idan. I was at a Bible study last night and he was talking and he, and he made this comment and I wrote it down because it, it, did, it did impact him to this study. What were sacrifices for? They were for us. I mean, does, does God need a sacrifice? The answer is no. Who does need the sacrifice? They're, they're for us. We get to learn something from a sacrifice. We get to learn something about ourselves. We get to learn something about God through the process of sacrifices. So sacrifices are important, but they're important to us. So God can say, and he can perfectly mean it, the blood and bulls of goats are not what I desire. What I desire is your heart. Did you not read Deuteronomy? What was the first command? Love the Lord your God with all your heart. That doesn't mean sacrifices were not, uh, were not required. That doesn't mean God did not delight to fellowship with his people, to eat and drink with his people. None of that uh, diminishes the, uh, the, the, the tabernacle service. Um, but... Uh, but um, the sacrifices are actually for us. Okay, I see in the, in yeah, the comments. Elliot, you had a comment about too far. What did you think too far meant? Are you there, Elliot? Uh, yeah, I'm here, but I don't recall saying anything like that. Yeah, you did say something. <laughs> <laughs> I heard him say something, but we don't remember what. Okay, all right. Well, if you ever figure out what too far is, I would love to know. The Dead Sea Scrolls, they said it was three days from Jerusalem. Their, their rule was if, if you're three days from the Jerusalem, you're, you're fine. And it's interestingly enough, we do find temples uh, that, that the Israelites had made outside. That we find four, four temples. They, they built one in Egypt. They built one down in the desert. They, um, 
we've got one in the north um, where they they sort of said no we're too far away from Jerusalem we'll, we'll create a new place um, I have a question kind yeah. of related to that um, what how does how would this apply when um, the third temple was built and they reestablished the old sacrificial system what how would how, how does too far enter it I'm sorry I, I <laughs> There is absolutely no way I can answer that. <laughs> so, yeah, I know, but I mean, it's just a, for discussion. I mean, I yeah. mean, what? Well, well, first what? of all, the the actual average Israeli, there is absolutely no sentiment within this country to build a temple. It's a very small group, uh, which is like the exception proving the rule. Um, many many um, Israelis are, are, are vegans, so I don't know what they're going to do. Uh, you know, they're going to offer their carrots and their cucumbers. Um, you know, and, and, and Brussels sprouts, of which the Lord will probably be quite delighted. Um, who, I have no clue how that would, would work. Plus, currently, they don't even own the Temple Mountain to even do such a thing. So, I've heard one possible explanation I wonder what you think of, okay. that um, when God's holy presence was living in the tabernacle and temple, that there had to be a blood covering as a protection from the people drawing near. And so if you're in Babylon, um, you don't have the temple, you um, don't need that protection. If there is um, Ezekiel's temple physically built and God is, again, living with his people in, um, in, in a different way, more materially than he is now, that we might need um, a blood covering again as a protection. So um, that, okay. that's yeah. one argument. Millennium, right back that's in the millennium to come. Right. Okay. So, yeah, so the, Ezekiel, my, the temple of Ezekiel. Yeah. Okay, so that's my, a very my good comment point. on the on this, um, you know, we had to have a blood covering, otherwise, you know, the presence of God would destroy us. That actually goes against what we're reading in this section. God delights to have His people come before Him to eat and drink. It's, it's, um, it's, uh, it's, it's unfortunate that in our several thousand years tradition, we've come to this idea that if we didn't have blood, uh, we're in serious trouble and, and you know, our righteousness is so un, un bad, we'll just disappear in a puff of smoke once we come into the presence of the Lord. That, that doesn't seem to be the way God relates to, his, to people. Um, that doesn't, it doesn't say that sacrifices don't have meaning, they do. That doesn't say that blood doesn't have a meaning, it does. But, but even the high priest, when he walked into the Holy of Holies, we have, a, we have a tradition that he had a piece of rope that was tied around him, yes? And, uh, you know, if he died, you'd pull him out. That actually comes from the Zohar. That's not anywhere in rabbinic, it's not in the Bible, it's not in the Talmud, it's not in rabbinic literature. That actually comes from Kabbalism. It comes from this, again, the part of Judaism that's zoomed off to the side and they've begun to sort of say that, you know, we're trash God, and God's so super holy and we all just need a lot of help. That's not what the Bible says. God loves the world that he sent his only son. God delighted to live with his people. He wants to inhabit the prayers and praises 
uh, of his people, and he wants his people to come before him and rejoice, not in fear, not in not in not not in this sort of idea that oh my gosh, if we do this wrong, we're going to burn up and die, but rather no, bring your families, bring everybody, come 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 and eat with me, and 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 listen and talk and let's 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 talk together. Um, there's actually a lot of joy and delight in this, and I think that is a is a the actual intention. Uh, even of a future temple, um, which will one day host the Messiah himself. Aaron, can yeah, I just yeah, add yeah. one yeah. thought about um, this balance between sacrifices and offerings and then obeying the voice of the Lord? Yeah. So this is a fun verse, really. So this is from Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 22, and it goes like this. For in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt, I did not speak to your fathers or command them concerning burnt offerings and sacrifices. But this command I gave them, obey my voice and I will be your God and you shall be my people. Wow, that is very good. Um, because that's actually what you see in verse 28. So I know we don't have time to get to it this week, but in next week, just to give us all a hint, okay, it says in verse 28, actually, what does your version say, um, Neville? Yeah, it says, um, be careful to obey all these words that I command you, that it may go well with you and with your children after you forever, when you do what is good and right in the sight of the Lord your God. Okay, all right, because the, the actual Hebrew there, okay, this is a little hint for next week, it says, shamur, from the verb lishmur, which means to guard, or to, to keep, okay? Shomer v'shamoa, shamoa, hear, from the verb lishmoa. So guard and hear, in that order, uh, all these things which I command, which is exactly what Jeremiah is saying. Is, um, we've translated as, be careful to obey. But there's a lot more nuance, and we'll talk about it next week. The concept of hearing and guarding, uh, the, the, um, and how that's linked together with obedience. Vis-a-vis -vis what God is talking about. Come into my presence, which is a tabernacle. Come into my presence with sacrifices, which is you know, offerings and all of that temple uh, thing. Being very particular about what you do with blood, and things you can and cannot do with blood. But at the, the end result is, you know, listen and guard. So there's a, there's a, there's a lot there um, which we didn't get to, but we will next week, uh, that once we actually get into the presence of the Lord and we've done our ritual, and, and part of that we get to enjoy as well, part of the ritual is, is enjoyment for us, now what do we do? And it'll come down to also being careful not to add or take away. So um, I'm looking forward to that discussion next week. Okay, guys? So getting into the presence of God, hearing and observing and making sure that we don't add or subtract. What does that actually mean in the presence of the Lord? All righty. Okay. Thank you, Aaron. Okay, great. All right, guys? Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page, on SoundCloud, or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. 
You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you, and blessings from the City of the King.